0: previously on the sports refuge podcast
1: you have to really practice 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 constantly non-stop practice you want to get better at something just like anything else in life
0: you have to practice from delaware almost live this is a sports refuge podcast this is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports and now here's your host earl holland It's episode 57 of the Sports Refuge podcast, the show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Hunter Parsons' journey to becoming a professional baseball player was aided by three important factors, his family, his faith, and a blazing fastball that clocks in at more than 95 miles per hour. It was his family that inspired him to follow his dreams of pursuing his career of playing in the pros. It was the high-velocity fastball that put him on the radar of professional scouts and led to him being selected twice in the MLB amateur draft by the Cleveland Indians and New York Mets. And his faith played a role to help him overcome tough times playing for the University of Maryland baseball team, leading to a resurgence. In this episode, Parsons discusses those three factors, as well as what it was like receiving the call of being selected by MLB teams twice. He'll also talk about the culture shock of going from Maryland, mainly the Eastern Shore, to playing in New York for the Brooklyn Cyclones of the New York Penn League, as well as his expectations for his first full professional season. He'll also share the advice he'd give to anyone looking to pursue a career as a professional athlete. And now, here is my interview with Hunter Parsons. My guest is someone who has a pretty good pedigree when it comes to sports. Normally, we've had our share of college athletes in here, but this is our first professional athlete, and he is a two-time MLB draft pick, first by the Cleveland Indians and now by the New York Mets, and he had a pretty good first professional season. He is Hunter Parsons, a graduate of both Parkside High School in Salisbury, Maryland, and the University of Maryland. How are you doing today, Hunter?
1: Doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, and I'm glad that you were able to be a part of this interview. I appreciate you for having me. You've been playing baseball for such a long time. How did you get interested in the sport, and when did you know that you are a natural in it?
1: Um, I'd have to say I was kind of birthed into it. Um, My room as a kid or as a baby was all baseball stuff. Still in my room today. But, um, yeah, I just grew up playing t-ball and um, going through Little League and kind of found out I was pretty good at it right around like eight or nine years old and been rolling with it ever since.
0: In addition to pitching, what other positions did you play?
1: Mainly infield, so shortstop and first base were my main positions.
0: And when did you know that baseball was going to be that path and that goal? What other aspirations did you have in addition to uh, playing baseball?
1: Really, nothing else. I told my parents at a very young age when I grew up, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And was fortunate enough to have two parents that believed in me and said, go for your dream and don't let, anyone, let anything hold you back. So really no other dreams besides that.
0: Who were some of your favorite players that you were a fan of growing up?
1: Well, I've always been an Orioles fan. And growing up at the time, um, Miguel Tejada and Melvin Mora were on the team. And since I played infield, those were two of my favorite people. And uh, also a guy named Luis Matos. Uh, my first Orioles game I went to, uh, we sat in right center and he was playing center field. I kept yelling his name and he turned around and waved at me. And, you know, I was like five or six years old. So that was the coolest thing ever.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I remember Luis Matos. Wow. It was him, Larry Bigby, all those, or- those in the early 2000s. And that organization has changed from Luis Matos to Adam Jones and things like that. And I think about growing up when I was watching it was Brady Anderson, Mike Devereaux, Cal Ripken, Chris Hoyles, Palmero, For good or for bad. Mm-hmm. Everybody might have a different opinion on Palmero, which is a shame because he was a really good player. It's just him in Congress and then the steroid test, and it was sort of tough to see. But going into playing on the high school level, I know you started at Delmarva Christian School. What led to your decision initially to go there before transferring to Parkside High School in Salisbury?
1: Well, in middle school, um, I went to Epworth Christian, and I had a lot of my best friends there, and all of them were planning to go to Delmarva Christian and so I really wanted to stay with them and, um, really just continue my friendship with them. What led to it changing was, um, my sophomore summer, I joined uh showcase team, the Eva shield Canes and, um, the recruiting coordinator for that had mentioned that, you know, it's not going to hurt me by being in private school and playing against the competition I was, but it's, it's not really helping me. So, um, just decide to go to the public school level and try and better myself and play better competition and see where that was going to take me.
0: And then the decision going to Parkside, what was the biggest leap that you had to make going from, especially the private school level, to the public school level?
1: Oh, Really, it was just the amount of kids. Marva Christian was a very small school, had just over 100, 125 kids. And Parkside had around 1,100 at the time I was there. So really... Walking the hallways and seeing it jam-packed like that and having a class of you know forty kids all the time was a different experience for me, but um, I think it helped. I you know I was a little more shy at Damarva Christian and it kind of had to open up and make friends on my own at Parkside and helped me grow as a person a little bit.
0: From my time covering high school sports, preferably baseball, I've seen a number of pitchers come through. And, of course, you're one of the many names. I include Kaden Cropper, Caleb Evans. There's a lot of guys who've come through and had the opportunity to be drafted by major league teams as well. To you, what did having that opportunity to play in the public school level go on to the state playoffs? I know you guys had a great run a few times down there. What was it like, especially getting that exposure?
1: Um, It was awesome. I just love playing the game and being able to go out and get more eyes on me and have more people see me being on a public school level because, you know, they're going to be there to see other kids, too. So kind of was able to put me on the radar and kind of put me on people's list to start off and um, just wanted to go out there and try and perform my best and mainly help the team win while doing that.
0: When did you start hearing whispers that okay, scouts might start looking at me. And what do you feel like the scout skull in you that made you potentially draftable for major league teams?
1: Uh, my junior year, right after we had lost the state championship, was the first time I had any contact with any scouts or anything. It was a Braves scout. I can't remember his name, but he handed me a questionnaire, asked me to fill it out and send it back to him. And so that was the first exposure I had with some scouts. And I think out of high school, just – You know, I was throwing pretty hard, especially for, you know, around my area. And at the time, you know, I was tall and skinny. You know, I got long arms and I was only weighing about 175, 180. So I think teams just saw projectability, you know, put 20, 30 pounds on him. And he can, you know, mature mentally and mature physically and might come out on the right side.
0: What were you throwing at that time in high school? What was your velocity and what was your pitch repertoire?
1: Um, I was mainly like ninety, ninety three. I would hit ninety five every once in a while. Um, just fastball, curveball, and changeup. Mainly fastball, curveball at the time. Uh, changeup was kind of there just for show to show during warmups. Didn't really throw it in a game.
0: I know there's always a talk about everybody concerned about throwing curveballs at an early age. Did you ever worry about those fears or things like that? And how did you sort of try to alleviate those concerns, especially throwing the curveball?
1: Uh, so my 12-year-old travel ball coach at the time taught me a uh, curveball grip that he said wasn't going to put any stress on my elbow. It was mainly all wrist rotation and getting the ball to come out without putting a lot of stress on your elbow. So that's what I threw all the way up until probably 11th grade. So um, it really never crossed my mind about, you know, injuries coming back and forth. It's a part of the game of baseball, unfortunately. So if it happens, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, most of the time there's there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do about it.
0: And I know, of course, there's a variety of different curveballs. And for maybe someone who's never seen you throw a curveball, how do you describe your break? Is it 12 to 6? Is it one of those sweeping ones? What's the break like?
1: Um, It's definitely not a straight 12 6. I would say maybe... More eleven five, eleven four ish It's not straight up and down. It's got a little bit of sweep to it.
0: And I always as wonder, it's just so crazy to think that there's a variety of curveballs, there's a variety of fastballs, so many different grips. Whose grip did you model your curveball and your pitch repertoire?
1: So at the time, I was kind of just working with my pitching coach, Jamie Evans, around here, and we kind of just, he taught me some grips, and I kind of rolled with that. All this information wasn't being shared on social media like it is now. Like There's a guy now called Pitching Ninja who he goes on Twitter and shares videos of pitch grips and videos of pitch breaks and everything on Twitter. And a lot of people use that now as a resource to be able to try out new grips and try out new pitches. So at the time, it wasn't really modeling it after anyone. It was just kind of seeing what would work and seeing you know what gave me the best results.
0: And then as the years went on, especially heading into senior year and having the scout come, what were your initial thoughts? What led to the decision to at least commit to the University of Maryland? And what were some of the other offers that you had before even the thought of, of potentially being drafted by a major league team came along?
1: The main reason I committed to Maryland was the coaching staff that was there at the time. Um, coach Chef was the head coach and Coach Bellinger was the pitching coach at the time and um, they'd come out to see me a bunch on the the showcase trail, and Coach Ballinger would call me once or twice a week just to check in on how things were going. So um I just felt a real genuine care from that coaching staff and you know they kind of made me feel at home. and you know Maryland's only about two hours away from my house here, so made it easy for my parents to come up for a day trip if they wanted to staying close to the family, being able to have easy access. and um the schooling was the last part Maryland's top 20 school in just about every major you can think of. So um, I wanted to do something with sports science and know they have a really good program there. And so those were, you know, the main three factors on why I chose Maryland.
0: When you mentioned sports science, is it more body mechanics or is it something more than that?
1: So the major was called kinesiology, and it's, you know, referred to as the study of how the body moves. So there was biomechanics and anatomy physiology. There was some physics involved. It was a lot of stuff. There's a lot of different uh, routes you could go with the major.
0: When that stuff comes to mind, I sort of think like Trevor Bauer, because I know how big he is into stuff like that and windups and deliveries. What was the biggest takeaway, especially from that major that you've learned?
1: Really, it's just, you know, kind of how the body recovers and how it works, how sleep is very important for your body being able to recover. Hydration is extremely important. Just some of those things that kind of help your body throughout the grind of a baseball season, you know, not be so worn down. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is just more ways to take care of my body in a healthy way.
0: Before we get into your time as a turp, when you first got the call from the Cleveland Indians that they were looking at you and that they were going to select you, what went through your mind and when did that realism hit that, wow, I just got drafted by a major league team and a good team at that time?
1: It was an extreme honor. At the time, I had been talking to the scout and talking to um, my advisor and they had contacted me and said, you know, we didn't have the money that we thought you needed to come to the Indians and uh, forego Maryland. So the draft pick was kind of like a courtesy selection. Like they had me on their list, but they just didn't have the money to get me. So I kind of knew at the time that I was going to go to school but um, it was still an extreme honor. You know, I, I still remember the phone call with Bob Mayer and um, still remember what I was doing and everything. So it was an extreme honor. And um, it was just one more goal that I was able to check off my list.
0: When it came to your development as a pitcher, especially going to the University of Maryland, what were some of the things that you wanted to work on in your development? And what were some of the things that the coaching staff pointed out, hey, this is something you should try or something you should do?
1: Um My biggest thing was, you know, getting physically stronger and getting mentally stronger. You know, the competition from the Eastern Shore is not what I was going to see in the Big Ten. You know, I was going to see better players on a more consistent basis. So it was really, you know, being mentally stable enough to know that I could go out there and compete against those guys. And that, you know, they weren't just some big monster that I was going to crumble against. Pitching-wise, it was From my coach's standpoint, so it's kind of the same thing, you know, all freshmen, well, most freshmen come in there and, you know, aren't mentally strong enough to handle the game and all that it brings because college is a much faster game than high school is. You know, you got plays and you got to worry about runners and there's just a lot of aspects to it. So it usually takes, you know, freshmen a while for that to kick in and to become comfortable in those situations. So that was the main thing right out of the gate. And then. You know, just developing better all-speed pitches. You know, my fastball had good life, but my breaking ball was just okay, and I didn't really have a third pitch. So the majority of my freshman season was working on getting those three pitches, so I could see more time on the mound.
0: In addition to that, you also had to adjust uh, first time away from home, all these classes, different level. It's not high school anymore. How were you able to balance all those things? Classes, not having parental supervision, and in addition to going to your class.
1: Well, the good thing was I had I had guys there that I knew on the team already. So, you know, it was kind of a growing experience together. You, you don't feel like you're all alone by yourself, even though you don't have, you know, your parents. And it's, it's a much different life. You know, you're not coming home from school every day and, you know, coming home to a home-cooked meal or anything. It's all on you. You know, you really have the team aspect, so you're really with your teammates basically every day of the week, so, you know, it's kind of like they take over as your family and your coaches kind of take over as the parents, even though they don't do everything that a parent would do, but um, it's really just a growing experience that, you know, I was glad I wasn't alone on. My room was a uh, quad, so there was four people living in there, so was, I had three other roommates that, you know, we'd sit out in the living room, chat, do homework together and stuff, so really really never felt like I was totally on my own there.
0: What was a typical day like? I can only imagine you probably have to get up early for baseball practice and then class and things like that, then working out, then study sessions.
1: Um, well, the off-season was a little different than during the season. The off-season, we'd be lifting four days a week at uh, 6 a.m. We'd lift 6, get done around seven fifteen, shower, try and grab some breakfast, and then classes for most guys started at 8 and would go till shortly after lunchtime and then uh, practices would usually start around two thirty or 3 go for about two and a half three hours so getting out of the team house around 6 six fifteen after rehab and everything grabbing some dinner and you know when you're a young buck you got to go over to study hall and get your study hall hours in and then if you know if you don't finish everything you got to do there then you're going home and trying to finish that so um you know it's it's really jam-packed but once you get used to it the schedule kind of keeps you moving it keeps you going every day you need You get into routines and you know what to expect. You know what you got to do throughout the day to accomplish all the goals you need to.
0: Was there a sort of welcome to college type hard knock situation that you ever experienced getting into a game, someone taking you deep, having a bad outing, one of those types of moments that you had?
1: Yeah, so um, our inner squads, my freshman fall, were very tough. We had a lot of really talented guys. And I can't remember if it was my first outing or second outing, but my, uh, my buddy Kevin Beyond, I threw him, fastball inside and I thought it was a good pitch and he cranked it over the fence luckily it was foul but I remember in my head I was like dang that was a good pitch and he just he just hit that thing a mile so that was kind of like my welcome to college baseball moment
0: (laughs) as the years went along what were some of the biggest memories that you had during your experience at Maryland
1: um I would say my freshman year being able to start in the Big Ten tournament uh, I started the semifinal game versus Iowa that was a really awesome moment Iowa isn't too far from Nebraska, which is where the Big Ten tournament was being held there. So they had about 1,000 fans there. So that was the biggest atmosphere I had really played in at that point. Um, Sophomore year, the team made the regionals. We ended up at Wake Forest Regional, and we won a game there. And, uh, you know, ended up getting booted out by West Virginia. But um, that was really awesome. Um, Junior year, throwing two complete games was just an incredible experience. And then uh, senior year, just I think senior day was really the biggest moment of the year, like realizing that all of that was coming to an end the four years of college. And, you know, my, my buddy John Murphy and A.J. Lee, who I'd been there all four years with, were by my side. And it was kind of like a realization, like, I guess, I you know, I'm growing up and I'm about to be out of college and about to be, you know, in the adult world because, you know, at that time I didn't know if I was going to get drafted or not. And so a lot of things just came into question, but, you know, it was, I was with two of my best friends and, you know, I got to do it with them.
0: I know that sometimes during my time covering high school athletes going to Division I colleges, sometimes not everybody's able to hang in there. What led to your decision to stay with the University of Maryland? And I know a lot of people sometimes homesickness or maybe not liking the situation, feeling it being something different than they thought they were getting into. But what was a determining factor in you staying at the University of Maryland?
1: Um, Like I said before, I really liked the coaches. They really made me feel at home. They really just made me feel a part of the team and feel like I was more than just a baseball player for them, but that they cared for me as a person, you know, what I was doing in the classroom, how, you know, living off campus was and, you know, living with the roommates. You know, they're always checking in. And, you know, the main thing is the teammates I had there, uh, the friendships and relationships I was able to build in the four years with multiple different guys, multiple different teams was – what kept me there. It was like, you know, those were my brothers and we had something to go out and do and do together as a family. And it was um, just a really humbling experience to be able to feel a part of that.
0: When it came to pitch calling and pitch selection, how did it differ from the high school level? I assume on both ends you had coaches calling pitches for you. What was that like?
1: Um, Pitch calling in high school was a little more on my own. It was more just me and the catcher, being able to do what we wanted to do and um, not having much from it. My freshman and sophomore year, our pitches were, for the most part, unless you were you know, a high-priority guy where the coach trusted you a bunch, they were mostly called. Just about every pitch was on the coaches, and so you had to trust that they had read up on the scouting report and they knew what you were doing, and then you had to believe in the pitch and think that it was going to be the best pitch to get them out with. Um, then my junior year when we got our new pitching coach, That was the first time I'd ever had a coach tell me that if you don't think this is the right pitch to throw, you can shake off. But when you come back to the dugout, you better have a good reason for it. So my junior and senior year was a lot more, especially senior year, was a lot more me and the catcher um, doing scouting reports by ourselves, watching videos of the other teams and the other hitters and kind of formulating a plan of attack.
0: Did you do a lot of scouting reports in high school? And if so, what was it like? I could only imagine that it's a lot different compared to on the collegiate level.
1: Uh, no, in high school, I really didn't do any scouting report at all. I mean, the the only thing would be if, you know, if I knew the player had played against them before, like Justin Meekins and, you know, Grant Donahue. Those were guys that I'd seen a bunch of times and played against a bunch of times. So, you know scouting report was kind of just previous experiences with them but then like i said senior year we had a laptop and we had a a program where we could watch every at bat that the opposing hitters had taken we could formulate what counts they were in what pitches they were hitting well we could see averages and stuff so me pitching coach and catcher would sit down for you know hour hour and a half sometimes two hours just looking over guys seeing what they did well and seeing how we could formulate a plan of attack to neutralize their offense.
0: Is there a thing such as too much information to have?
1: I think so, yes. I think it's all based on personal experience, like what you do with the information. Like I know a big craze nowadays is, you know, the trackman and the Rap Soto stuff. So you can see your spin rate and see your horizontal break and see your spin efficiency and stuff. And that's all great and it, you know If you learn to perfect that, it will help you become a better pitcher. But I think, you know, in the long run, you could have the highest spin rate in the world when it comes to facing hitters. If you're not executing your game plan, then it's not really going to matter in the long run. So I think in, you know, in some ways that information can hurt some people if they dive into it too much and kind of lose the plan for the game instead of just trying to put it out there for the numbers.
0: I don't know analytics is starting to take the game over. It's, easy if people are really big in the math to get an idea on that but what is your thoughts on the explosion of analytics in the game i know it's it's important especially you hear some players are glad to have a lot of data and knowledge on that but your thoughts on on analytics i know the game still has to be played and people have to actually throw the ball and, and hit the ball But so what are your thoughts
1: um if it works you know i'm all for it analytics are starting to be used everywhere like you said and you know, for a lot of teams, it's working like the Astros right now, even despite the cheating scandal and everything going on. Their pitching side of things, they've learned, you know, they took Garrett Cole, found out ways to, you know, increase his spin rate on pitches. And the dude's a stud anyway. So the more help he can get, you, I mean, you just saw how dominant his season was last year. And you take a guy like Zach Granke who comes over at the trade deadline, you know, they work with him. And, you know, the Astros are probably the most analytical team in the majors right now. So you can see the fruit of the labor coming from from those kind of guys there. So, I mean, I am a huge fan of it. And I know the Mets now are starting to get into it, get a lot of analytics guys in there. and You know, I don't know what all goes into that, but those guys know what they're talking about. And, you know, any information that can help me grow as a better player, I am 100 percent committed to.
0: And it seems like more like you have the science part down. They got the math. As long as they can find a way to blend it together, it'll work.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly.
0: As your college career wound down and you received the call from the New York Mets, where were you at when it happened and what was the feeling like and when did that realism hit you?
1: I was actually on the golf course. Me and my buddy Drew, were, we were on the golf course and we were on that 18th hole and I was about to hit my second shot and um i got a text from my advisor saying hey the mets are about to take you and about 30 seconds later i got a call from jim thompson the area scout at the time saying congratulations we just took you and needless to say i was too excited to play the rest of that round my next shot i think went in the water and i just decided to pick up the ball and you know call it a day but um you know, it was insane. I remember calling my mom and she was in tears, um, just saying how proud she was of me and calling my dad and hearing how proud he was of me. And, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere without those two, the sacrifices they made and more to just them, my sister and my grandparents. You know, everybody that I've associated with has put in a lot of days, weekends, money, time, a whole bunch of things where wasn't for that I wouldn't be where I am
0: when did all the buzz and eventually sort of calm down? I can imagine it had to be at least two or three days before everything just sort of got back to some semblance of normalcy.
1: Yeah, it took, definitely took a couple of days, you know, um, waking up in the morning and saying, you know, wow, now I'm going to get to go be able to play this for, for a living. Now Um, it definitely hasn't lost its touch though. I can tell you that, but it, you know, after a couple of days, the anxiety kind of goes away and, You know, a couple weeks later, after being drafted, was when I reported to St. Lucie, and you know, met all the people down there. Signed my contract, and then you know, a couple weeks later, shipped out to Brooklyn. So that's kind of when it came real. When my girlfriend dropped me off to BWI, and I was headed out to Port St. Lucie. That was when when it was kind of you know, wow, this is this is the real deal. Now now it's time to go out and you know perform.
0: How quick did you sign? Did it just take a couple days? That process, especially knowing who's ever been drafted professional sport was there a lot of haggling that went on or was it just a pretty quick and simple process
1: um so you know the details of it were all settled within a day or two but I didn't actually sign my contract for a couple weeks you know they had given me a call and said we know you threw a bunch of innings in college um we want you to you know just take a week or two off from throwing you know have a little vacation and then we'll bring you down to Port St. Lucie and sign your contract and then we can get going
0: Did you sort of feel like you were in bubble wrap and uh, handled with kid gloves, especially with that? Like, I'm not going to do anything stupid to (laughs) jeopardize something like this. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, Definitely took it easy those next uh, couple of weeks and was able to relax. The good thing was my birthday and my dad's birthday and my grandparents' anniversary were all within those next two weeks before I left. So I was able to celebrate those with my family and really enjoy the time before I got out of there for the rest of the summer.
0: Once you arrived to uh, Port St. Lucie, what was that experience like before getting sent to Brooklyn?
1: Um, it was, you know, kind of a culture shock. It was almost like being back in college again, uh, per se, because the van would come pick us up at 6.15, 6.30 from the team hotel, would take us to the complex. Uh, we'd have breakfast there, and then there'd be some sort of conditioning or lift in the morning around like 8.30, 8.45. Um, baseball activities would be around 9.45, 10.00. Games would be at 12, and then, you know, after that, then you have the rest of the day to, you know, do whatever you please. But, you know, it was, it's very structured. There's a lot of younger guys down there as well. So it's very well organized. And that kind of was uh what made it feel a little bit like college again.
0: Once you went to Brooklyn, I mean, you know, you see some people, if they sign, they'll go to a really, really small town out of out of nowhere, but you go really basically New York City. What was the culture shock like, especially from Salisbury and even from College Park?
1: Uh, it was definitely different than, you know, Eastern Shore, uh, Salisbury. Don't see, don't see grass fields every day. You don't see any kind of wildlife or, you know, cattle or livestock or anything like you see here on the Eastern Shore. It's all trash on the streets and, and a bunch of traffic and, you know, a bunch of concrete buildings that were basically built straight up to replicate, you know, the city life, how the city life is. So that was definitely uh, took some getting used to. Um even College Park is a little different because it's mainly a college town there's still not a you know not a ton of business work and stuff done around there but uh yeah you know, downtown Brooklyn was definitely a culture shock for me um can definitely say I'm I'm not a city boy but uh you know the guys on the team there I was able to enjoy my time there and we we had some fun you know exploring the city and stuff
0: did you get to go to Coney Island at all? I know the the stadium's right there in Coney Island, but did you get to experience any of the stuff or go on that uh, that one coaster that they have that it's
1: known for? I didn't get to go on the coaster or anything, but um, like you said, the Coney Island boardwalk is right there. So there was a there was a few days that, you know, me and some teammates would walk down to the Popeyes down there and, you know, get a little pregame meal and <laughs>
0: Going into your first professional season, making another transition, what was that like And playing in the New York Penn League? And I know you probably had a chance to play against Aberdeen, so that made it a little closer to home, those games. When you went to Ripken Stadium, where you got, if you had that opportunity, what was it like, especially having family being able to get closer without having to drive all the way out of state?
1: Um, it was definitely another growing experience. Um, I moved from being a starter in college to out of the bullpen for the summer. So, you know, that took some getting used to. Again, I hadn't done that for, for a couple of years. So um, getting back in the groove of that, how to get into a routine out of the bullpen and, you know, coming in for only an inning or two, two inning stints was uh, was definitely different because, you know, I was used to going out there and, you know, six, seven, eight innings, whatever, I, however long I could go until the coach pulled me out. Um, so that was a little different from the baseball side of things. And, um, you know, playing every single day. Uh, was definitely definitely something I had to you know learn how to control and learn you know when uh, when I could get my sleep and you know when I could eat and you know all this stuff because you know there are long days there and you play just about every day Um, but yeah going to Aberdeen was awesome my whole family was able to come down and watch watch us for the weekend and I ended up pitching uh, I think three innings there the one night that everybody was there and so my nephew got to come see me, my sister was out there, my parents were there, and um, it was really awesome. Um, it was really cool. You know, I played at the Cal Ripken, you know, uh, stadiums there. You know, they have the uh, travel ball tournaments there with the fields modeled after Major League Stadium. So I had played there before and remember going by the Aberdeen uh, Stadium and then obviously playing the state championship there brought back some memories, too
0: are you projected to be a starter heading into spring training or, or is that something that's to be determined?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's something to be determined as of right now. Um, they drafted me as a starter. So, you know, my hope is to be a starter, but whatever, whatever they need me to do, you know, I'm going to do it a hundred percent and do it to the best of my ability.
0: What did you do in the off season to prepare yourself?
1: Um, you know, I was working out at pure fitness here four days a week. Um, I had a full-time job, too, to try and, you know, make some money to help carry me through the offseason. So um, working the full-time job and then going to the gym after work. And then, you know, after the time of my, you know, rest for, for my arm, after that worn off, I um, was able to get a, a throwing program from my high school pitching coach, Jamie Evans, and was fortunate enough to link up with a guy who had connections to Crown Sports Center so I could throw inside instead of, um, you know, throwing outside in the cold and, uh, you know, the conditions here. Um, and then, you know, I've been fortunate enough to go to the Delmarva Aces with Dave Wiggum and throw some bullpens there um, in the last couple of weeks to really, really get prepared to get going there in Port St. Lucie.
0: What is a normal game day routine like for you when you're on the mound?
1: First things first is, you know, i got to get my sleep in. Um, usually eight nine hours whenever i can get there um and then it's a lot of hydration leading up to it uh, i like to drink a lot of water so i feel refreshed and you know don't feel stagnant or um you know sore or groggy or anything and then um you know it's trying to it's trying to eat stuff that's not going to hinder me when i'm on the mound so trying to eat you know greens just trying to eat healthy and you know stick with water and really, you know, get my body ready to go out there and compete. And then it's uh, before the game, it's all about getting my mindset ready to go out there and compete. And then, uh, you know, then it's going out and, you know, trying to perform my best.
0: Throwing that many pitches at a high velocity, I can only imagine what your arm feels like after. What what does your arm feel like? What's the sensation after you're done and you've got the ice and the towel wrapped on your arm?
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, it's something you definitely get used to nowadays. Um, but it's interesting because it's, you know, it's not painful, but uh, you know, it's it, you do feel limited with stuff you can do after that. Especially, you know, starters throwing 100 pitches, um, you know, then you're feeling it even more. But even you know, even bullpen guys who are going out there for, you know, 30, 40 pitches, they have a little more leeway. They can they can you know kind of burn up their energy more um, in a shorter amount of time. So it's more than just your arm too. If you believe it, your legs are sore. Um, you know, cause you're using so many muscles and so many movements in the pitching motion that all create such high, you know, torques and um, uh, amounts of force generated that, you know, th- your whole body does end up being sore for at least the next day, most of the time. And that's why, you know, recovery is so important with the hydration and the sleep and, you know, getting in there with the trainer getting stretched and everything is, to try and get your body back to equilibrium as quick as possible.
0: When it comes to the grind of the season, especially playing short season, what was the traveling like? I can assume it's mainly buses.
1: Yeah, it's all buses with the New York Penn League. I'm not sure. I know the major leagues fly, obviously, but I'm not sure how it works. With other leagues, I believe it's all buses. But uh, the travel wasn't terrible in the Penn League. Our longest trip was to Vermont, which was about seven and a half hours. The only thing that made that trip bad was we had a game in Brooklyn at night at seven. So we left the field there at 1130 and we got into our hotel in Vermont at around 630 that morning and then played again that night. So um, it's just it's just that, you know, those kind of nights leading kind of running into the next days. That is really what makes it a grind and, um, you know, can really take a toll on your body if you're not if you're not uh, preparing the way you should be.
0: I know that having the experience covering the Shorebirds, whole food is always uh, one thing. How do you guys on the road deal with trying to uh, eat better, especially when sometimes all you have is fast food?
1: Uh, it's, it's definitely tough, but um, wherever you go, you're just trying to pick the best options. The good thing with the Penn league was most of the stadiums were in, you know, close by to a city, you know, where there's restaurants and there's more than just fast food. So you can really um, – you can really get some better options. You know, there are a couple of places, like you said, in small towns where, you know, the only thing there might be is, you know, McDonald's that's close enough to the walk from the hotel. But, you know, with Uber and Lyft and all this nowadays, if you really want to, you can you can get to somewhere decent as long as it's, you know, within a reasonable amount because obviously the money is still still an issue you're not going to want to pay 30 bucks just to go get a $10 dinner.
0: <laughs> I always hear there's like stipends for teens, but... I mean, I can only imagine that, especially it's got to stretch throughout the road trip. And how do you try to make it stretch like that?
1: Um, It's really just, you know, trying to only get the essentials. You know, if if you're going to the gas station before the game, you know, it's grabbing a Gatorade and maybe a protein bar instead of a bag of chips. So thing of Reese cups and a big, you know, two liter of soda or something like that. It's really uh, just trying to manage the money and work with what you got.
0: And the opportunity that you may end up moving up to the Mets uh, South Atlantic League team, and the possibility that you get to come home to Del Marva if that happens, what will that be like? Being able to pitch on the mound that you had an opportunity to pitch on a few times, especially during your time at Parkside,
1: it would be awesome. You know, it just it would take it to a whole nother level. Um, you know, obviously pitching there at high school is cool, but um, you know, pitching in front of you know, Shortbirds fans and, you know, pitching in front of, you know, being the hometown kid, being able to take the mound would really be something special. And I'd really cherish that moment and, you know, hold that one in the memory bank for a long time.
0: As you start heading towards this first full season, what is the biggest adjustment that you feel like you'll need to make heading into this full hundred and 50 some odd day grind that you have to go through as opposed to the short season and having that time off after college?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just going to be getting in a routine, you know, as far as body wise, you know, picking days to to lift where I can recover and if I need to, you know, come out of the bullpen or if I have a start where my body's still going to feel good and I'm still going to be able to perform at my highest level and, you know, taking care of my arm, picking days to rest and picking days to, to throw and really having it, you know, mapped out and just doing my best part to be able to you know, have my body and my mind in the right place at the right time and being able to go at the right time.
0: I always hear about Jim Palmer talks about when the days when he pitched, the maximum effort that was used, they didn't really throw with all their effort. How do you just try to limit how much you're throwing, especially how much goes into it, how much oomph you put into it?
1: Um, I'd say it's definitely different than when Jim Palmer played, you know, um, back in, you know, when he was playing, there wasn't a, a lot of guys that were you know, throwing 95 plus. Um, but nowadays, you know, that's kind of what baseball has become is you get all these power arms that are coming in there, 95, 96, 97. So, you know, when you have that type of arm, you have that, you know, big leg arm potential, guys aren't going to be taking it easy or trying to hold anything back. It's going to be a hundred percent every single pitch until, you know, pitching coach comes and pulls you out and, you know, says your your day's done because, you know, that's just, it's just the nature of the game now. It's, pedal to the metal the whole time while you're out there you know don't leave any energy when you when you're coming off the mound I know
0: that you're big in your faith how do you feel your faith has helped you especially as you've gone through playing baseball through the high school ranks to the college ranks and now to the professional ranks
1: you know it's honestly saved my career um my sophomore year at Maryland um I was expected to be a weekend starter and you know a freshman came in there my good buddy Tyler Bloom he's still there he came in there and you know, took the last weekend spot from me and, um, you know, really put me down in the dumps. And I, I was really upset about it and I didn't handle it the way I should have instead of, you know, seeing it as a chance to grow and learn and um, kind of prove myself, kind of took it the opposite way and kind of led me to some dark days. And became, baseball was, you know, becoming not fun. You know, every time I was going out there and pitching, it was really a struggle. You know, I was doing really bad just about every time I went out there. And so it really took me to the lowest I've ever been in in my baseball career. And my faith is kind of what helped me stay grounded and, you know, believe that there was still baseball wasn't going to be done for me and that I was going to recover from it. And, um, you know, I got to give a big shout out to my mom because she was kind of my rock through that whole time. You know, she was always sending me scriptures and calling me and saying, you know, God's got a plan and, you know, this is going to lead to something better. It's going to lead to something bigger and better. And so, you know. After a while, after being so down in the dumps, I had to start believing in something. Um, You know, my faith has always been there, but I had to start believing deep down without seeing any, you know, any success at all. I had to believe deep down that in some way God was going to take, you know, that that low point in my life and be able to turn it around. And I was going to become a better player because of it. And I think that definitely happened.
0: And I know they always talk about seasons. Sometimes the seasons are different. There are, there are high seasons, low seasons. What was the biggest sign that the high season was coming after lows?
1: Um, so that was the year we were getting a new pitching coach uh, going into my junior year. And I had reported from that summer, I played in the Cape Cod. And, you know, my outings were getting a little better. I was still having some bad ones, but I was having some good ones mixed in. I was still, you know, holding strong. And I remember meeting uh, Coach Muscara met him at Looney's pub and he was there with the other coaches. And the first time I ever met him and um, he came up to me and, you know, he said he had seen me a bunch before throughout high school and stuff. And he said, man, I don't care what happened last year. This next year, you're going to be a stud. And so that was the first time that I had felt throughout that whole low season besides me and my mom and the people that were closest to me, that someone else believed in me, someone else saw potential in me. And I just started believing in that and believing in, you know, everything he was he was doing with me, you know, he brought a lot of unorthodox stuff that uh, kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone on um, stuff like mental visualization and, and, you know, reading books and keeping a notebook and stuff like this was all really new to me. But I just believed in it because I believed in him and I believed in what he saw in me and um, it ended up really turning around my career and I think ultimately led me to being where I am now.
0: You were talking about the notebooks and taking the mental notes. What are some of the biggest things that you noticed from taking those notes?
1: Um, really was just uh, being able to control my mind. We would do something with Coach Mascara called chaos training. And then you'd you'd lay down on the ground and you'd, you'd sit there and you'd try and quiet your mind. And we're in a circle and he's in the middle and he's in there screaming and yelling, you know, totally crazy stuff like right in your ear. And, you know, the whole point is, how quick can you get your mind back to like uh I forget the word he used to call it, but basically how quick can you get your mind off this crazy stuff that's happening and bring it back to a sense where you feel in control, which is a huge part of baseball because you might be cruising one inning and then all of a sudden you give up a walk and then a double and that's runners on second and third with no outs, and you gotta gotta be able to get your mind to a to a space where you believe that you can get out of it and you know, you believe that your plan of attack is going to be better than what the hitter's plan of attack is.
0: And I know, of course, especially when you look at it from the hitter's aspect, um, you think about baseball, it's a game of failure where three out of ten times means you're going to be a Hall of Famer and four out of ten means you're an exceptional player. I feel like the success rate is greater for pitchers than it is for hitters. How do you try to keep those odds going in your favor?
1: yeah I mean, a big thing is believing that's the case when you're believing that the hitters are are in the better position, like say it's two l and you're like you know on the mound, you're thinking, man, this is a tough count, you know I gotta make the perfect pitch or he's gonna you know hit a double off me. That's when the numbers start creeping in their favor when you keep the mentality that, hey, I could throw this pitch right down the middle and it could look like a beach ball coming in there, and he's still gonna have a three out of a ten shot hitting it, you know really. It gives you perception and it's just like, yeah, my job's definitely a lot easier than, you know, what they're trying to do. So really, if I just believe in this pitch that I'm doing, most of the time it's going to pay off if I really believe it.
0: I know it's not easy to make your own predictions for the upcoming year. What are your aspirations for this upcoming minor league season?
1: Um, really, it's just, you know, get through the season healthy wherever they put me. Every time I'm out on that mound is I'm doing the best that I can to help the team win. You know, putting myself in the right positions to get out there and, you know, do what I'm capable of. Um, Yes, I would like to advance throughout the system, but, you know, that's kind of in my control. But at the end of the day, I'm not the one calling someone and saying, hey, let's move Hunter Parsons up to the next level. So what I need to do is mainly just focus on the process. I know that's very cliche, but focus on the process, trust the process, and, you know, keep my faith and believe that God has a plan. For my life and that he's called me to be a major league player and, you know, continue to spread his word throughout the ranks and eventually on the biggest stage one day.
0: And I know most of the times for timetables to get to the majors, if and when it occurs, there may be a couple of years. Unlike. Maybe sports like professional football or professional basketball, there's a long window to when you might get to the big leagues. How do you just try to handle something like that, especially knowing that your number may be called in a couple of years, especially as a pitcher?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, living in the moment, realizing that what you're doing, being a professional baseball player is something that, you know, a very, very low amount of kids will ever be able to do. So it's really you know, keeping your feet planted and realizing where you are and realizing that you're really blessed um, and not looking ahead. You know, how many years you've been in the system or how far you think you are away from the big leagues. It's, it's really just still playing for the love of the game and just realizing how truly blessed you are.
0: As we start to wrap this up, what are some ways that people can maybe reach out to you and, and say hello and all that on social media?
1: Yeah, um, you know, Facebook is not something I check extremely often it's a little weird having the Facebook app and then having the different one for the messenger. So that's not usually my way of communication and of social media. Um, mainly it's Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is just Hunter underscore Parsons. And I don't really know what my Twitter one is, but you know, if you, <laughs> you type in Hunter Parsons, I'll be the guy with a baseball picture up there. So yeah, you know, I love when, when, you know, especially young kids reach out to me, you know, just to say hello and that they look up to me. And I've had a lot of parents say, You know, the way I carry myself, their kid looks up to me, which I think is really, really awesome. So definitely, if you know, say hi, check me out. And, you know, I kind of like to keep people involved, uh, especially the people back home through social media. So um, give me a shout.
0: What's the biggest piece of advice that you can give to someone who's and having a professional baseball career? I know the odds are small, but and seeing that you've made it and a few other people have done it, especially uh, Ziggs Ebron, uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you can say, the wisdom that you can give to those kids?
1: Yeah, um, I actually got asked this today. I was, spoke to uh, some of the Delmarva Aces kids after the bullpen I had thrown. Uh, my biggest thing is if you have a dream, whether it's to be a professional baseball player, to be a professional basketball player, to be a singer, whatever it is. If you have a dream, don't let anyone turn you off of that dream. There's been doubters in my career. I've had people tell me that, you know, the numbers are are so small. You know, you got to be one in a million to make it and all that. And, you know, I think it's really like that with with just about anything that you want to be great in. There's going to be people that are going to tell you that you can't do it, that you need to be more realistic. But, you know, the biggest thing is if, if you believe it and you have any other people believing you, and that that's really all you need. You know, the doubters and everything, they shouldn't have any control over your life or have any real estate in your head. It should be, if you have a dream, you go get it. No one's going to tell you you can't do it until, you know, obviously with sports careers, that day is going to come to an end eventually. But, you know, go as hard as you can until someone else takes it away from you.
0: Well, Hunter, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
1: I really appreciate
0: it. I wanted to preface that this interview originally took place in March of 2020, right as Hunter was set to head to Florida for MLB spring training and a few weeks before COVID-19 forced not only all sports, but everyday life to grind to a halt. Being able to catch up with Hunter again was something that I was looking forward to, and I hope that the listening experience was enjoyable for you as it was for me interviewing him. Next time, I'll be interviewing Courtney Keefe, the head coach of the girls' basketball team of Snow Hill High School in Maryland, who led her alma mater to its first regional championship in nearly 30 years. We'll discuss how she got into the game of basketball, what led to her getting into coaching, and how a former MLB player had an impact on her athletic career. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening, be safe, and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at thesportsrefuge, on Instagram at sportsrefuge sports blog, and on Facebook at the Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.